Greetings, everybody, and welcome to another installment of Innovation Crush, recorded live here at the Sagamore Hotel in wonderful Miami during Art Basel, Art Week Miami. Um, in case you guys are tuning in for the first time, this show covers all things ideas, creativity, smart people doing smart things, and um, apparently we're going to get a little sass and some some <laughs> some some really good energy from from our uh, our two guests today. So uh, first of all, let's go, ladies first. You want to say hello, introduce yourself to the audience and 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 myself because this is our first time like face to face. True, this is, yeah, it's intense. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for the invitation. My name's Marta Siebenhar. I am the Assistant Vice President for Audience Development at New World Symphony. I'm also a business coach, and I am the founder of Cultured Innovations, which is a boutique consulting and coaching firm. And Sam Hyken. Yes. Yes. My name is Sam Hyken. Uh, I'm a composer and producer living in Miami. Um, thank you so much for, for having me, and big thanks to the Sagamore Hotel, who's one of our new partners with New Deco Ensemble, which I am um, CEO and uh, co-founder, artistic director. Um, we are Miami's genre-bending 21st century orchestra. <laughs> uh, let's start with that. <laughs> what, uh, define the term genre or the phrase genre-bending. So genre-bending is... It's, all, it's either many genres or without genres. And this, this practice of genre bending has been something that's been a tradition in both classical music and popular music. In, in classical music, composers like Ravel and Gershwin floated through many genres. And then in popular music, a, someone like as legendary as Ray Charles a, a, was an amazing gospel and soul singer. Also, his probably most famous album was country music, David Bowie. Almost every single album he did was a different genre of music. So we take that concept and apply it to a legacy art form like the orchestra and, and perform in many different genres. How does that go over, right? Like if I'm a Ray Charles fan, I may not be a classical fan or I may not be a David Bowie fan, right? Like uh, how does that translate and what, what kind of results do you see? Like how do you people see people engage with the experiences that you guys create? So I think that when um, my co-founder Giacomo Byros and I, we started the group, you know, so much of the thought and so much of the thinking in classical music in general is how do you bring in a younger audience and, and how do you make a more diverse audience? And for me, one of the big light bulbs about genre bending and the engagement of it was after our debut concert. Um, my wife's grandma was in town for the concert and uh, I asked her after, I said, what was your favorite piece on the program? And she said, Daft Punk. And that <laughs> that made me realize that that not only were we introducing young younger people to a legacy art form, but we were also introducing people that normally wouldn't listen to Daft Punk in a, in a setting that was more um, apt for, for them and more comfortable. So uh, it just shows that um, you can, with music, you can have this amazing shared experience for uh, this collective experience for such a diverse group of people. That's amazing. Uh, Marta, can you echo that? I mean, especially from just an audience development standpoint, like how do you go about attracting new audiences, retaining old ones and like giving them both new experiences that are unified, I guess. Yeah, that, I'm obsessed with this. So <laughs> I really think music is for everyone. The arts are for everyone. I think they give people voices and outlets for creative expression and to be able to express yourself is like a human need. So not one si there is not one size fits all. So um, I know at New World, we do a lot of I, people say like, oh, orchestras have two audiences. They have classical and they have pops. But at New World, uh, we see ourselves as a lab for innovation in this legacy art form again which uh, means that we have not only one audience or two audiences, but we have like nine or 10. 
And so we have a number of different programs like Pulse, which is club meets orchestra, late night DJ and orchestra. Actually, we usually commission Sam to create a piece for DJ and orchestra almost every time because there's just not a lot of music that is uh, readily available <laughs> for that <laughs> instrumentation. So we like to kind of play with what intrigues people. And for me, I'm, I'm in charge of audience development, which means we can't only be thinking about what is on the program. We have to think about who's, who's our audience and what's going to make their hearts beat faster. Right. So what is the unique experience that, that we can sculpt for them? Uh, we've done a number of programs that our fellows, New World Symphony is actually an educational institution. It's not a professional orchestra. So it's uh, young individuals who want to be in the orchestra field who are usually between the ages of 22 and 30. And I this guess is, I'm out. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> it's a stopgap uh, to help them to continue their professional education um, in the highest quality possible circumstances, while also giving them an opportunity to per keep perfecting their craft and get a job. Sam Hyken is actually one of our alumni, and we're very proud of him. And he's come back after being in a professional orchestra himself and deciding that he wanted to do something different. So we really uh, cultivate leadership as well as the the regular curriculum of different concerts. But our, our approach is to innovate, to question uh, traditional uh, ways of doing things, and to sometimes put the reins of the concert production and the artistic creation in our fellows' hands. When you're in an orchestra, you normally show up and play what's on your stand. But to be able to turn the, the performers into creators within right. the orchestra context is actually something very exciting. Um, you guys are like two different sides of a bookend, right? You're the business, you're the creativity, and there's like a, a you know, a blank space in between. Uh, how much of it is goal versus gut? Like your goal is to, uh, you know, in one part of your career, I think you increased attendance by 229% at the, was it the Bakefield? Bake yes, thank you, the Bakehouse. Um, but, you know, that's a, there's a business goal and then there's like, look, I just want to be creative and like, look at this thing I got. Can we do something like where's the balance between those two worlds and how do you explore that? You know, and either, either of you can answer that question. Well, I, I mean, for me, I'm also having to run the organization, too. So I think I'm, I'm the CEO of New Deco Ensemble in addition to be artistic director and a composer for the group. Um, I had there was a very steep learning curve, you know, someone that's. I was a performer first and then composer arranger. And as a, as a musician in the 21st century, you have to be uh, very, very uh, well-versed and flexible and, and, you ha and oftentimes have to forge your own path. So I, I feel like the business and creativity side, there, what, the thing that I've really learned in running the business uh, for a nonprofit organization is there is a creativity in, in running business and strategy, um, marketing, branding, all those things are, I found very, very creative. So I've been able to... to um, to scratch my create creative itch within the business aspect of what we do as well. Well, how much of a learning curve was that, right? Like, cause not everybody can translate, <laughs> you know, being able to create music to create business, right? And not everybody else has that skill set. What, what went, what, you know, what are the similarities, I guess, for you? And then what was like, what the, probably the biggest learning curve? So I, when we were starting out, actually, Marta, who's also an arts consultant, was um, you know, helping us with initial strategy. And I love and, that you guys love each other. Yeah, we like, do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I love this. Like, just big up, <laughs> big up in each other. It's big great. Man. When, when Marta was at the Bake House, you know, she, she and I and I had I met her. I, I think it was at um, just an arts and business council luncheon, and she just was like, "Hey, if you ever just you know need anything, just come come over to the Bake House." And so so I went over, and and one thing that she's 
constantly stressed to me over the years. And it's something I've had to, the, really two things that, that have been the biggest learning curve. And, and the first is, you know, when you're, when you're in a startup, you're, you're taking every opportunity that, that comes and you don't want to just say no to anything because right. you want to get content out there. But then when you're starting to really uh, fine tune what you do, the, the lesson that March has always said is you have to be deliberate about everything that you do and, and really be focused and deliberate. Um, and the second part of the, the actual business side is just learning about capacity and learning like, how to work through growing pains and learning, um, you know, when is too much, too much, and right. and and when to say no. I think conversely, like I, I'm sure you have a lot to add, but I think also if you're trying to teach business acumen to creatives, you know, where where are the hurdles in that, you know, that part of the, your business? Well, I think for me again, it's that artists are so in their world of creation, they might not think about the end user, so. From my perspective, going to back to your your question a couple minutes ago, like engagement to me is good business. So anytime you can be thinking about what are the opportunities to excite and delight and surprise and reward people for being interested in what you're doing, that's good business. So um, a lot of the things that we've done together and a lot of the things that uh, I do when I'm working with artists or with the fellows um, is we focus on like what is what are the the needs of the people who are going to be consuming whatever it is that you're putting out there. Like really, I think it starts from human empathy. Um, when you're a creator, you create and that's your, that's your creative world, but you never know if that's going to actually resonate with the people who, who might be your audiences. And unless you find some sort of synergy with, uh, with their needs, their behaviors, their desires, then you might be missing an opportunity to connect with them because in the middle of what you're doing and who your potential audience is, it's kind of like, what then can you do to connect with people? So again, engagement and understanding and empathy right. for me are the very beginning. Oh, empathy is like a, such a huge piece of it, right? And I, th I think there's something to be said about the creator, the creator's process. Oh, for sure. You know, because like I, I spent a good part of my career as a writer, and it's yeah. like you you sit there and you type, and like it's your thing coming out of your head. And I and at the time it was comedy, so it was like. If I think it's funny, I hope, you know, I, I can multiply my own self because um, there's a disruption that happens once people go like, no, no, no. They start thinking about other people and like, well, I guess it, it, you start to second guess the creative energy. Well, I guess my my point is not that you're going to change your art to fit somebody, but it's kind of like, what about your art will resonate with people? Like, what is it getting to know yourself from the outside perspective and again, like not changing the artistic product, but finding out like who will this resonate with and how can I reach them? Where are they? And you really have to almost do like mapping to figure out that kind of thing. There's an audience for absolutely everything. And I do believe that. But if you're also looking to um, take your business somewhere, you can be doing the greatest things if you don't want an audience and you don't want people to know about right. what you're doing, then don't tell the story about it. But it's really about stories and what's gonna capture the hearts of the people who will be your major core audience. And Sam, I, I guess conversely, like how much of your day to day is play, right? Like in almost in the literal sense. See what I did there? It was that was very. So I'm sorry. How, much, <laughs> how much of it is play? Like you, you know, just sitting around tinkering, creating for the sake of creating, and then kind of reverse engineering. Like, oh, you know what could be good for that thing in June is mm -hmm. that's so one thing we could. Do. I, I would love to say that I have the time to sit and brainstorm, <laughs> but I really, unfortunately, you know. 
I, I wish I had more more of that because I love those you know periods of time of just of just playing and, and brainstorming and coming up with just I, ideas. Um, you know, everything with New Deco because of the fast growth has been very task oriented and ha- and it's always about the the content we're create we're creating because it because it's um, a, a unique build of an ensemble, we have to really create our content out of scratch. There are composers that have written for the size of the group, but generally speaking, so far in our history, a three-year history, I'm responsible for the majority of the content that the the ensemble plays, even if it's a rearrangement or a reduction of a big classical work, someone has to put those notes in in the page. So so I'm, I find that that's so much of the time, most of my writing is very task-oriented and goal-oriented. And as a composer, that's amazing because it's being a composer, it's, you know, you, you, you want to be busy and you want, you want to have have the projects just lined up so so I'm, I always find that like I'm there's always a, a very clear purpose for for the writing that I'm doing and it's not as much as I would like to just sit and, and you know write a symphony Hopefully. Well, yeah, we used to go tinker around at a, at a piano after we, after we get out of here love to just a couple <laughs> drinks just I can't play a lick of music to save my life but you know I think we'll have a little fun. <laughs> Why not? That, that will make it interesting. You're like, no, thank you. <laughs> um, that it sounds great. I mean, what both of you have been able to accomplish. Um, let's talk about some examples of when it's worked. Right? Uh, we talked about two twenty nine, but I, like, I would love to just hear some examples of you know an example. You know, maybe the poster child or the the, the holy grail of where you found all of the pieces working together and, and gave lift to to everybody involved. Well, I have to point to our recent success with Project 305, which was Woo! Uh, a Knight Foundation. She also said she's going to do 305 tattoo yeah, across her neck right. earlier. Look for so, that later. Yep. Maybe we're going, on the neck. We'll after see. we make the music, we're going to go to the tattoo parlor. <laughs> excellent, excellent. My mother will be thrilled. Um, As will his wife's grandmother. So there you go. Yes. Family affair. There you go. Sorry, go ahead. So uh, the Knight Foundation had been working with um, MIT Media Lab and a couple of other partners around the globe, actually, to do these crowdsourced symphonies, which takes, again, the legacy art form and transforms the people who usually show up and become audiences and consume the art into creators. So the idea that they came to us with was, we want to do this with Miami and we want New World Symphony to lead the charge. But what we want to do is a little different, which is not just sounds. We don't want to harvest sounds from the city. We also want to harvest videos. So the charge basically was the largest scale audience development project ever undertaken by a Miami institution in the arts. Wow. And our our community is 3 million people. So, wow. 3 million? 3 million people in Miami-Dade County. And our goal was to cover the map. We had an app, we worked with MIT Media Lab, and we got over 1,051 submissions, which is amazing considering the scope of that. But we really put that together. We put all of the submissions, uh, people took uh, videos from the Everglades, of their cafecito being made in the morning, um, dolphins at dawn on Biscayne Bay. It really was, uh, anyone was invited to submit content to this piece and then we put all of the creative material into the hands of a composer and a filmmaker the composer is ted hearn john david kane was our filmmaker and they created a completely unique miami piece they also took their own bus out into the community and interviewed people who had been incarcerated people who are homeless um, and a number of people from the community so for us this was a huge win because it gave us the excuse to kind of like go out into the neighborhoods that we don't ordinarily connect with we do most of our stuff here at new world center in miami beach 
So this was an opportunity to really take the Knight Foundation's uh, goal of making art general and using Project 305 as the lens through which to do that. And we premiered the work on October 21st here. It was a wall cast, so it was completely free and open to the public. Explain the wall cast, because I think okay. it's something that's uh, absolutely amazing. Like, from an outsider looking in, like, I, when I was told what that was, I'm going, oh my gosh, that sounds amazing. The wall cast is a pretty special thing, and the idea is it's a classical music concert that is happening inside the hall, but it's actually piped outside into the park in 4K video and uh, HD sound. So there are 165 speakers. You can sit there and have no loss of quality in terms of sound and what you're seeing. And the neat thing is, I think it's even cooler to, to sit outside to see these wall casts because the video team, we've got nine video people on our crew wow. who orchestrate the shots. So you get to see from their lens, like what is happening in the concert and they all read music. So it's kind of like live at Lincoln <laughs> Center, but way better. And these are young people. Um, so it's really exciting to see the passion and, and everything that they put into it. It's one of the best things always when you look on TripAdvisor, what to do in Miami Beach. It's always like number one or number two thing to do. That sounds amazing. It's awesome. Um, Sam, top that. <laughs> well, <laughs> I think I, I'm in speaking more generally about the course uh, of a career. I, I, I like holistically on the macro level, New Deco, I would say is something that has just really worked almost not surprisingly, but but the, the growth of it has been has really taken taken Giacomo and I really by surprise. Um, you know, when we started, it was putting to, we knew we wanted to focus on living composers. We knew we wanted to do a lot of collaborative work with with guest artists of multiple genres and also play music of contemporary artists like Daft Punk and LCD Sound System and Radiohead. Um, but we really stumbled onto this formula of um, living composers on the first half that really speak to today's society that's not um, as I don't want to say is intellectual, but but a lot of new music can be difficult on the ears sometimes. We we pick a more populist approach to new music, so the focus on those kinds of composers, a collaboration with a guest artist in the second half, and then um, a, a suite of a contemporary artist like Daft Punk or Radiohead, and the formula. Um, it, just, it really took off and we started selling out every concert that we did. Have we had, has every concert been 100% success? No, but I feel like to start an orchestra, which is, you know, if you really think supply and demand and, and you think of, uh, we say it's a legacy art form, it's something that that is, it's, you read it about the papers all the time. It's just a, a difficult entity to, to maintain. So the fact that we've created and begun to really sustain with with a really loyal audience and a really loyal donor base, I, I, for me, that's the definition of something that has just where all the pieces have come together at the right time in the right city and, and worked. I love, actually, I want to add to this saying, one of the one of the pieces of the secret sauce of New Deco is that the performances at the Lightbox are are like you're this close to the performers and you can really feel the energy. It's a really special thing. I don't know if there's, I mean, when you see an orchestra, they're usually at a huge, huge distance. And this, in this context, you're able to see them and see them interacting. And like, you see the eye contact, it just becomes a different kind of energy than you could get from like a traditional concert and a traditional performing arts. Well, it's all, I mean, it's awesome. collectively, it's all like revitalizing the energy behind these things. I think in a, in a day and age where like we're tapping on glass all day mm -hmm. and like, oh, look what happened. You know, there's FOMO of what's happening on my device. You know, how, how do you go about the, is there a, a psychological science that you like look at in how to keep people engaged? Are you looking at, 
you know, how are you looking at culture and how to take advantage of it in ways that are smart? Like the Wallcast is brilliant, right? It's a great example of like, oh, you're going to be walking by anyway, and we can do this. 4K is pretty standard mm-hmm. now. It's not, you know, so what are the some of the processes you go through to really like examine culture and apply it in ways that work? So for us, I think it's two things. I think it's it's broadening the, the core repertoire of the orchestra. And if you really think about it, um, and I mean, I, I'm a product of New World Symphony, so I'd say this with absolutely no offense, and I think New World's the most amazing institution there is. Um, um, but orchestras in general have really, as a core of their programming, have been playing the same European classical music at, at its very core. That's been the foundation, the most mu- of their whole repertoire that they've played, yeah. and it hasn't really changed. So I think by broadening, broadening that out and, and giving the same reverence to Beethoven that you would, David Bowie, Prince, these LCD sounds is a massive attack to, to put their music on that same pedestal and put it in that same platform. I think... Um, it it allows for a broader audience and and Marta was just I was asking Marta she was, she was outside just now I said you know she said you you know everyone's just amazed by all the success and I said well what do you attribute to and she said it's like the democratization democratization of classical music it's like the approach that we take is very friendly we we tell our story we 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 talk about the pieces but it's it's a much more casual way it comes from a very personal experience more so than it is an intellectual experience but it's also very personal we we engage an audience on why the piece why we program why it's meaningful to us and and I I think that people there's very few experiences in the world that are, that collectively can draw a diverse crowd that people can all share in the same cultural experience. So well, it's great, no, because it's there's the me. I always look for that like the Me Too moment, right? And one of the moments for me was <laughs> seeing Sir Mix a Lot. Yeah, you know, do Baby Got Back. Yeah, with talking about asses, and you know, with the a symphony orchestra, and I thought it was just an, like for me, like I'm not a and I appreciate classical music, and I was listening to some earlier while I was working, but it's not something I see got regular. I sought that out. Once I heard about it, I was like, I got it. And I shared it. So it was like marrying these two worlds. And it's almost like spoon feeding or sneak feeding the the actual classical. But, but what about the collaboration made you seek seek it out? Like, what, what was the reason that, what, what drew you to that? Just because it was, it was a different version of it? Because those two things, are, like on paper, they don't belong together, right? And, and there's some, there's a little bit of the shock that goes into, you're like, wait, what? How, why are these two things together? And I mean, even on my show, like, I you know, I celebrate a lot of like, connecting dots that don't necessarily go together and you go like oh like we were talking earlier about nasa's artist in residence right. like nobody he's been there for 15 years helping craft missions that we're paying our money for right so um so for me it was like to see sir mix and i grew up on baby <laughs> back unfortunately um <laughs> but then and then just to see the shot like I, I have to see what this is and then you go like i want to see more of it I didn't know if you had anything to add, Martha, but I think uh, just like creating a creating a culture of curiosity, whether it's in your institution or in the community at large. I mean, music is really in the end, I think, about connection and expression and telling stories. And so I think there's no end to creative ways that you can put two things together that don't make sense. Um, even when you have a couple of classical musicians together in a room, the things that inspire them may be completely different, even though they happen to have the same job. I think that's probably true for anybody who's in any profession. But, you know, we have somebody who used to work for the National Park Service, and um, all of our fellows right now are involved in community projects where they have to self-produce. And usually, again, they show up and play. So learning how to produce a concert is a whole new kind of education. But he felt really passionately about being in a space with nature. So his project is likely going to involve going into the Everglades and playing (laughs) for nature. 
just as a, a part of communing and, and being in that space. So that might not be the thing that you necessarily see when you look at a classical musician, but is like part of their story and part of what's behind the tux, right? Well, I think we're also like in this generation of multi-hyphenates, right? No one's a one-trick pony anymore. Like you used to go like, oh, I'm a lawyer. I am an accountant. I am a musician. And now we have other interests and they're okay, especially because of social media. Like I might find out that you like horseback riding and that might be my entry point to horseback riding. I'm like, oh, Marta did it. Hey, can I go with you next Saturday? I want to see what that's like. Um, uh, I don't have a questionnaire. I'm just pontificating. But, but um, you know, I, what I was sort of getting at is this idea that Miami is one city of thousands. I don't know how many cities there are in the world. If it, does anybody know how many cities there are in the world? No idea. Good trivia question. All right. <laughs> Somebody break out Google. We'll see, we'll see what happens. <laughs> but no, you know, how do you take what you're doing, right, and continue to tell the story and inspire other cities and communities to do the same? Because, yeah, it's great that locally, you know, you're getting people engaged in the arts and re-engaged, I would, I would like to say. But then you go to Chicago or Idaho, like, where do, where do you start to see the Daft Punk fan, yeah. you know, so, <laughs> really gravitate towards so what you're doing? So the success that we've had here in Miami so quickly has really made us think about that concept of growing nationally and how to take the, our mission is um, to create um, compelling and transformative genre bending musical experiences that enrich, inspire and connect new and diverse Art, audit, audiences and artists, and we have the word artists in our mission because you got that thing memorized. Oh, I, 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 <laughs> yeah, I tried. <laughs> this is all the syncopation and everything. It was, it was good. Have musicians, so, exactly. Yeah. No, it was, it was um, delivered it exactly the same. And you know, when I was at um, the the League of American Orchestra conference this summer, I just kept thinking. We were, it was in Detroit, and I was just. It, it, Detroit was it's an amazingly positive city since it's the bank hometown of, by yeah, the way. Yeah. I, I yeah. was so so blown away by just the, the attitude of people like they and everybody is just so bullish about the city and I'm like man New Deco like it wouldn't be the same here because it wouldn't be the Miami flavor but Detroit has its own musical history Motown I mean there's so much that you could tap into the local aspect of 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 tying it tying your city to to the art the art form and um I just started thinking I'm like well what how how can we take our brand and, and mission and expand it beyond the city of Miami while keeping it Miami-centric. So one of the things that we are doing is launching a new initiative called the Composer Conductor uh, Institute, which is going to marry eight composers and eight conductors. And we're basically going to give them the secret sauce of what we do. Each of them will get to conduct or compose a uh, a new work, like a new classical work, a collaboration with a guest artist, which we'll pair them with, and um, a reimagination of a contemporary artist. So they, it's it's with with our repertoire, and then we're also going to be at the same time, um, kind of giving them a peek under the hood of how we did what we did, how like how the business was creating you know, the, the timeline so of it, the business side yeah, of the it, the business well. side of it, as well as public speaking, all the all the the tools that we've had. That's to amazing. Kind of, yeah. So so the the idea being that that it will. It will, we're planting seeds. Yeah, training Miami. the trainers. Training. To, yeah, yeah. And at the same time, you're now creating a whole network of collaborators at the same time. So if yeah. they're coming down, you're, you're, you're creating a, a sect of like-minded people. Well, you also, I mean, you made the move from New York, which is a highly celebrated creative city. <laughs> to, and we were talking about this earlier, you know, 12 years here in Miami. Why did this become the home base for you to do exactly what you're talking about? So before I came to Miami, um, I had got, I went to the Juilliard School um, for trumpet uh, for four years. And then after that, um, I went to the Royal Academy of Music in London. So I lived in London for a year. And then from there, I got the, the Singapore Symphony was doing an international audition tour. So they came to London. Um, they offered me a trial. And that's where I met Giacomo. We were both on trial on the same day. 
And um, where I come from, being on a trial is a whole other thing. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's not that funny, actually. But, um, but uh, um, so while I was in Singapore, I mean, Giacomo and I would always talk about the future of music and where's live music going, where's the orchestra going, and you know what happens if you're in an orchestra in 20 years, that orchestra folds, and now like, uh, what am I going to do? I'm not going to be competing against these younger kids, you know. So so those kinds of ideas would always come right. about. But the reason I ended up in Miami was because I was going to a music festival over the summer in Verbier, Switzerland, and Michael Tilson Thomas, who's the artistic director, legend genius of the of the New World Symphony, um, came to conduct, and I had a big trumpet solo, and we just really hit it off. And within two minutes, I was like, I, I got to leave my job. I got to go work with him because I just knew it. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, because it's relation. I mean, speaking of all those world travels, right, it, it comes down to, I, I would imagine, I'm extrapolating from that, is relationships, right? Who, like... All this stuff. I mean, we can talk about creative ideas and technology and so on, and so on but it's it, there's still this human component Absolutely. that goes into. I mean, yes, a perfect example. You guys are like peanut butter and jelly over here. <laughs> um, so, Marcia, same same sort of uh, perspective. Yeah, I think uh, relationships matter, and that's when I look at audiences. It's really you're developing relationships with people. And ultimately, anybody who has an emotional connection to what you are doing or anyone that you can entice and tell the story and like capture their imagination, um, there's no right answer and it's going to change all the time. So I think definitely you build relationships and you build opportunities for inter intersection with what you're doing in like a very natural, organic kind of way. You can't force people to be interested in the art. So I think if there's some sort of like you have to be authentic, you have to be who you are. Um, and be authentically inviting. And all of that is all about relationship development. And yeah, you can you can push creative ideas into the universe, but really executing them in in a lot of ways has to do with trust and and practice. So you're not going to necessarily get it right the first time. We were just talking with our creative director about how when you do 1.0 of anything, it takes a lot of time and you learn a lot. But 2.0 is like so much cleaner and easier yeah. because you have a basis for experience to build on that. But yeah, having ideas is great, but having a platform, um, things don't happen without people. So I think relationships are super important and I'm super excited that I keep intersecting <laughs> with Sam in, in all these ways we never imagined when we first met. And just to add to that, um, one of the really, and tying it into Miami, one of the my favorite things about Miami, I mean, it, it, it it's a, a city that has an amazing brand and packs a big punch and you see that the whole world converges during Art Basel. Um, but one of the most amazing things is it does have a small town mentality. Everyone really knows each other here. And, <laughs> who's, and who, who, yes. <laughs> Josie. Josie knows. And and what's amazing, if you're in New York, if you're in L.A., if you're um, a musician that's really doing cool stuff, you're going to probably know a lot of other musicians doing really cool stuff. In Miami, if you're doing cool stuff, you know a lot of other people doing cool stuff in all aspects of everything. So you, 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 you also know who they're dating and, <laughs> and where they went last right, night. Right, yeah. right, right, right. But, but just... The access to just people who are forward thinking, I feel like, is 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 really one of the biggest advantages and why you're seeing such an explosion in the cultural renaissance happening in the city. And one more thing. So I lived in New York for 12 years. I lived in D.C. for two and a half. There is no place like Miami for its openness to if you want to put an idea into use, like if you want to try something out, no one is standing in your way saying, no, we can't. That's not how you do it here. And you have to talk this and this and this and get their approval. It's this is a, a city founded by entrepreneurs and visionaries like real estate founded this town. And uh, I think the arts are very much the same. And, you know, I keep coming back to the article that came out on Tuesday uh, about how the Knight Foundation 
has done more for the, you know, seeding new ideas right. in the arts, which is super amazing. They're here. How lucky are we? But also they're willing to take the risk on ideas and putting them into the hands of the people, not saying you have to do this or that and we're going to choose. Like they open sourced ideas for artistic projects, which has allowed ideas that never would have gotten through the, the channels to become reality. And I think the same is true. I mean, when I was at the bakehouse, I tried out stuff that I was not allowed to do, you know, <laughs> in quotes. Of well, course. You have to, like, you have to works, provide you know? an environment for experimentation. Uh, yeah. As we wind down a little bit, um, you guys are both lifers. You know, I've spoken to a lot of individuals who have like had multiple career shifts and then end up in something cool. Like, you know, if I look at especially your LinkedIn, it, you know, it's this is what you've done, you know, helped the arts communities build audiences and find opportunities in your careers. Same, Sam, it's, you know, a long resume of, from Talib Kweli to, you know, what you're doing now. Um, what is it about what you do that resonates with you personally? You know, what was it, that, you know, 10, 12, 15 years ago that you're like, this is it. This is the thing that gives me goosebumps and keeps me up at night. I think for me, it's it's about passion. The arts changed my life and they gave me a voice when I felt like I didn't have one. And uh, ever since I subbed with the New York Philharmonic and decided I'd be very unhappy as an orchestral musician uh, for a main job, I, I realized that for me, the audience and opening those pathways for lots of other people to engage with the arts was what I wanted to do for my life. So, and that's taken a lot of different shapes and the idea of creative play is is rejuvenating me right now also but i think just connecting human beings through an experience that connects them the arts do that better than anything else and so that has been my true north it's beautiful and for me i'm tying that into what Marta said about about uh, being an orchestra player i started finding towards the end of my trumpet career that i was only enjoying a performance if i played well as opposed to just enjoying the performance um now it's so much of my art that I create is not always in real time. I get the chance to actually like, you know, try, um, dab, you know, try to fail at it and, and get to try things over and over again. Um, but the, for me, it's, it's about collaboration. It's about helping other people find their voice, it's about elevating people. It's about getting the chance to, to work with such a broad range of people, like the, the guest artists who come down, especially that have never played with an orchestra. They feel like we're giving a new context to the music. Mm -hmm. Even, even, you know, you take a, this hotel, the Sagamore Hotel, which has just got such an amazing history. Uh, Roni, who just walked in, who is the amazing owner here. <laughs> she, she, she came and saw us, and, you know, with the hotel, such a famed history. She came and saw a new Deco concert and was just like, we, we, love to do something at the Sagamore and it's just it's 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 these, these this chance to collaborate with such a wide, wide range of people from different backgrounds from all over the world for me that's what that's what I feel like is really gets me out of bed in the morning more and, than and piggybacking on that I think one of those things is where are the spaces to find other people like you and I feel like in Miami it's not like 12 degrees of separation like it is in a city like New York right. where you're pretty much relegated to whatever profession you're in and then socializing within those circles. In Miami, when you go to a place like the Sagamore, you go to a place like Soundscape Park where we have the Wallcast or the convention center, whatever, um, you know, downtown, the Arts Center, just these public places, you're going to intersect with people who you can find a vibe with and you can experiment with. And again, um, 
build those relationships with, which is really exciting. So the show is called Innovation Crush, and thank you, and that was awesome. I just wanted to make sure you knew what show you were on. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, what are you guys seeing out in the world that you're currently crushing on? I mean, it may be in your own industry, it may be outside of it, maybe in Liberia or space. I don't know. It might be a meal you've had, but what's something that's giving you goosebumps lately where you're like, oh my gosh, that was so awesome. I need to get more of that. For me, um, one of the things I'm most excited about, uh, we're one of our guest artists this year is um, a kid named Jacob Collier. I don't know if you've ever seen him, any of his videos. I, I think this guy is like the musical genius of the world. It's like if Le, like LeBron James of, of music, like he's seeing the game, <laughs> he's seeing music in multi dimensions. Just he's rating his own music theory. He's it's like it's it's so it's so beyond. It's like if if music is like a source where the universe is like plugged in directly and wow. it just comes out so fast. So so we're bringing him in as a guest artist. He's never played with an orchestra in America. So for me, like the opportunity to collaborate with someone like that who I'm like who I revere so much I look at your eyes I know like like, this is real when we booked him it was like how how is this even possible someone that you watch on YouTube and you're like wow I mean that would be a dream collaboration and then you know to create a platform where you can actually like make that call and say hey you want to come down and play with this orchestra and and they it's just it's it's fantastic it's it's amazing I'm crushing on the idea of play Uh, I work with a lot of uh, leaders like Sam uh, and uh, even within our own our own institution and I see that people get hung up on like from on limitations, like what's not possible, and that mm-hmm. becomes the obsession of like, oh, we can't do that because mm-hmm. of this. Yeah. But when you think about it, all limitations come from your own perception and also the idea of scarcity. So if you're in a scarcity mindset, you cannot see anything but the limitations. So I've been doing a lot just personally with with friends and, and people that I'm working with and my my colleagues at New World about what is the way we can get into a playful space? Because when you're in a playful space, you're not thinking about what's 100%. not possible. So it's kind of like, how can we vibe around playing and getting out of, you know, even going to crazy hypothetical situations, it just opens up the ideas in a new way and you see solutions after you come back to earth, you know, uh-huh. that you might not see before. So I've been really rejuvenated by that and excited that's, by man, that. That's amazing. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's one of those things like we all have an inner child and I think we all grew up at some point and we had responsibilities and stress hit and you're like, Oh, but tapping into that spirit of play, even just the emotional connection with like, yeah. There's no wrong answer. Nope. And, you know, so um, any questions from the audience? Anyone? Josie, I, you, you, you so resonated with everything that was said up here. <laughs> yeah, smile. <laughs> um, as we uh, the, last but not least, you guys ready for the um, your finals of, of the innovation crush interview? Uh, complete this phrase for me. Any, wait, first of all, who wants to volunteer to go first? Oh, oh, apparently your <laughs> peanut butter volunteer jelly to go first. I volunteer. <laughs> I volunteer tribute. <laughs> um, I got that. Thank, thank you. you. Hunger Games joke. <laughs> got it. Um, complete this phrase for me. Innovation to me is openness and setting aside fear, embracing the unknown. It's great, in a, in a playful way. Totally. <laughs> Sam? Innovation is expanding the world around you and making the impossible possible. Ooh. Oh, this is peanut butter and jelly. It tells you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so where can, guys, where can the audience find out a little bit more about your, you know, your, your projects, yourselves? Um, where can we go online, follow you, tweet at you? 
So um, our organization is called New Deco Ensemble. That's N-U, and we put a hyphen, N-U-Deco. Otherwise, it looks like Nude Co. We found that out really early in our development <laughs> when, when we had the logo Nude options. Nude Co. Yeah. We, yeah. So, that sounds very Miami also. <laughs> it is. a whole other side of Miami. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> new-deco.org. New my, my website is just samhyken.com. Find us on Facebook. We um, Our next performance is actually here at Sagamore on um, Saturday for their famous brunch. Um, and then we also perform at the Lightbox in Wynwood, and we've started a brand new partnership with the Adrian Arts Center, which is the main performing arts center here. So lots of great concerts planned for the rest of the season. And, and they'll and, be at the New World And we're also, Center. we have a new commission. <laughs> we just commissioned um, violinist, composer, looper, Kishibashi for a brand new work that we're premiering at New World Center um, over two nights, which is a multimedia work about the um, the internment of Japanese-American citizens during World War II. Oh, wow. So he went to the, the camps and, and shot all this amazing footage, and, and it's based on all these impro- improvisations in various aspects of the camps that we're, we're premiering this That's new intense. work. It's intense. Very intense, but very <laughs> applicable. So yeah, we're, yeah. We're, really, we're, uh, we're really excited about the rest of this. Can season. I do a guest feature tomorrow? Do you want a guest feature? Yeah. I'm on Saturday? Yeah, yeah. What do you want? What do you do? Uh, you know, you'll find out. Just, All right. just sign me up. It'll be a surprise for Let's everybody. Do it. Let's Even do me. It. Okay. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> uh, good. I like it. You say yes to things. Awesome. Uh, Marta. See, he's embracing the That's the biggest lesson. He's never saying no. That's what I'm like. I won't let you down. I'll do something <laughs> weird. It'll be like, we shouldn't do that again, right. but it was okay. See, 1.0 makes 2.0 easier, right? Well, 2.0 sometimes never again. Well, there you go. <laughs> but then you have your answer. Um, for us, New World Symphony is at nws.edu. There is a uh, calendar there that you can find of upcoming wallcasts. Uh, we're doing New World Symphony's Answer to Miami Artwork uh, Art Week with a contemporary concert on Saturday night at 7.30. And that'll be very exciting. We have an East Coast premiere of some fresh ink new music. And um, for me, uh, my... My own website is culturedinnovations.com. Explain cultured innovations. I like the, I like the phrase. I want to steal it, but I can't. But so. <laughs> <laughs> well, the idea is um, I work in arts and culture, and I believe in new solutions and fresh thinking. So um, you know, you have to be sustainable, but to be sustainable, you often have to change what you're doing. Well, thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. Triple high five. You gotta join it. Yeah. And applause. Love it. Thank, you. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Everyone, Chris. this has been another installment of Innovation Crush, and we will talk to you next time.